Dear ones, my text this Lord's Day is from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Submission is a dirty word in our culture today. God's name is publicly profaned and blasphemed and people don't bat an eye. But let the idea of a wife's submission to her husband be mentioned and you are sure to have a riot on your hands. Submission, dear ones, is despised for at least two reasons. Let me briefly summarize those reasons for you. First, submission cuts against the grain of our sinful nature. By nature, we do not want to submit to anyone and especially to God. Rather, we desire to rule rather than to be ruled. Sin manifests itself in our lives by its unwillingness to submit to God's righteous will. What we declare, in essence, is we will not have Christ to reign over us. That's where our nature directs us and takes us. As long as man can simply remember Jesus as a helpless baby in a manger each year, that kind of Jesus is not a threat to man's autonomy and independence. But take Christ out of the manger and pronounce Him to be the Lord of glory, Savior, ruler of the kings of the earth, and judge before whom every person will stand on that final day. And all of a sudden, He's no longer a cute little baby, but rather a solemn rival who must be destroyed, even as Herod sought to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ and as the Pharisees sought to destroy the Lord Jesus Christ. John Calvin addressed this natural rebellion in the heart of man in a sermon on the fifth commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother. Calvin said this, but the fact remains that it is difficult for men to humble themselves and to descend to the point that God might easily subdue them. That is simply to obey those who have any authority over them. Therefore, God, seeing that subjection is such a contrary thing to our nature, set before us here the figures of father and mother in order to attract us in a most amiable way. This natural inclination to rebel against lawful authority is subdued, dear ones, by God's grace alone. Recognizing this to be the case, we should each one avail ourselves of the Lord Jesus Christ and crucify this lust of the flesh 
that is within, that even manifests itself in the life of Christians, we should daily take that lust to the cross and crucify it. And I can grant you it won't die easily, but Christ's power over sin and his death upon the cross is effectual. And it will die as we continue to take it to the cross. The second reason that submission is so despised in our culture today is because authority is so abused. Husbands, when we abuse our authority in marriage by constantly shouting out orders and commanding our wives to submit, 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 or by micromanaging every little detail in the home, by calling our wives names, or by physically abusing them, the word submission will become equivalent in their minds to worthlessness, servitude, and second-class citizen. If we want our wives, dear ones, to cherish the word submission, just as we husbands are to cherish the word love, then let us as husbands lead our wives in love. Let us cast our protective wing about them. Let us honor them as being the weaker vessel rather than despise them for being the weaker vessel. And let us treat them as those who with us are made in the image of God and are heirs together of the grace of life. Men, when our wives truly know that our authority is being used for their good, their profit, and their benefit, for their spiritual and their physical well-being, our wives will learn to embrace submission rather than despise it. A word of caution. Men, when you become upset and frustrated by what you deem to be a lack of submission in your wife, remember that you have the same problem. For the Word of God not only commands wives to practice submission, but the Word of God commands husbands to practice submission in various areas of life as well. Consider with me a few of those areas where God commands all, whether male or female, whether child or adult, to be submissive. First of all, 1 Peter 2.18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. Now, we do not have that type of relationship of servant and master, but we would recognize, again, an application to an employer-employee type of relationship. There is a necessary submission to the boss of the company. He owns the company. There is a necessary godly submission on the part of men to a leader in that position. In 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. That is, younger men, submit yourselves to older men. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. 
and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. And so in all of our relationships, even within the body of Christ, there is a mutual submission on the part of men as well as women. Furthermore, in Hebrews 13, 17, this commandment is not issued simply to women when it says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Speaking of submission to lawful elders and pastors within the church. In Romans 13.1, we find the Apostle Paul speaking again, not simply to women, but to men as well. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers for there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. Here the Lord speaks of the submission of men, women, and children to lawful civil authority. And in James 4.7, finally, we find these words, Submit yourselves therefore to God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The Lord commands men and women alike to submit themselves to God. <clears throat> Therefore, we must confess that all submissive attitudes, words, and behaviors, I should say unsubmissive attitudes, words, and behaviors are not simply sins against our neighbor, but are ultimately sins against the living God who has impressed His own image upon those who rule on His behalf. To not submit to lawful authority is not simply a sin against the image who is standing there, but it is a sin against God whose image is impressed upon him. Since lack of submission is a sin that manifests itself in all of our lives, it is always important then not simply to look to our wives as those who can be guilty of that lack of submission, but to begin with ourselves. To remove the beam from our eye, our own eye, before we seek to remove the speck from our wife's eye. Are we manifesting that inward, sincere, and cheerful submission to all lawful authority? I can assure you, men, that our wives will much more be willing to practice a life of submission when they see submission practiced in our own life. When there is not a contradiction between our word and our deed. And I would say to the wives this Lord's Day, this truth should also encourage you wives. For you are not the only ones called to submit. 
we men are called to submit as well. And so, therefore, understand God does not despise women and therefore call them to submit to their husbands because he despises them any more than God despises children and therefore calls them to submit to their parents. But because God declares about himself that he is not a God of confusion, but a God who loves order and peace, he has established his order within the home and within the church and within the state. A lawful order, as you find this referred to in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 33 and 40. Thus, dear ones, submission from our text this Lord's Day is the particular duty which God has given to a wife within the home. Why? Because of the role appointed to a wife by God to be a helper to her husband. Because the husband's role as head within the marriage will inevitably lead him to abuse his authority, God summarized a husband's duty under the word love. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. So likewise, because the wife's role as helper within the marriage will inevitably lead her to struggle with her husband for that authority, God summarized a wife's duty under the word submit. The duty of each husband and wife corresponds to the God-appointed role given to each. This Lord's Day, let us then consider together, first of all, the role of a wife, and second, the duty of a wife. Next Lord's Day, or the next time uh, that we're here together, be out of town as I mentioned next Lord's Day, but the next time that we preach on this subject, we will continue looking at the duty of a wife. So first of all, the role of a wife. And I encourage you to take your Bibles for a moment and turn back with me to Genesis 2, chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. That is, I will make a helper fit for him. God created Eve to be a help meet for him. That is, to be a helper to assist Adam in his calling. Dear ones, Eve was not created to be Adam's slave, nor his master, nor his rival, but was created to be his helper. There was no competition in Eve as she was created by God. She did not struggle with Adam as she was created by God for leadership in the home. 
She was not created to lead, but she was created to help the leader with all the gifts that God endowed Eve with, which were no doubt varied and manifest. Many gifts that God endowed Eve with, but they were all given to help her husband. Listen to how Calvin condemns in his commentary on this passage the perverse and demeaning role attributed to women by wicked men. He says, The vulgar proverb indeed is that she is a necessary evil, but the voice of God is rather to be heard, which declares that woman is given as a companion and an associate to the man to assist him to live well. I confess indeed that in this corrupt state of mankind, the blessing of God which is here described is neither perceived nor flourishes. But the cause of the evil must be considered, namely, that the order of nature which God had appointed has been inverted by us. For if the integrity of man had remained to this day such as it was from the beginning, that divine institution would be clearly discerned and the sweetest harmony would reign in marriage because the husband will look up with reverence to God. The woman in this would be a faithful assistant to him and both with one consent would cultivate a holy as well as friendly and peaceful intercourse. Dear ones, from this passage in Genesis 2.18, we note that a woman is to be a helper and that a helper is not a role of lowly, worthless servitude. For God uses the same identical Hebrew word to describe His own role in coming to the aid and help of His people. In Psalm 70, verse 5, consider how the Lord God says He is the help of His people. But I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me, O God. Thou art my help and my deliverer. O Lord, make no tearing. As well in Psalm 124, verse 8. <clears throat> Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. God is our help. He comes to our aid. He succors. He helps. He assists. He builds us up and lifts us up and encourages us. And so a wife, in that respect, is to be a help to her husband. I encourage you, dear women of Israel, ye ladies of the covenant, let not the enemy lead you to believe that your role as a helper to your husband in the home is a meaningless 
and mindless roll. For to you is given the high and holy calling of managing the home in his absence and of raising children to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is not a higher or more noble calling for women on the face of the earth than to be your husband's helper. The husband's role of head I would submit to you, is not more important than your role as helper, even though your role as helper is one of submission. I submit the role of husband and wife are equally important within a marriage, for one without the other is a sure formula for disaster in the home. It's like asking, which wing of the airplane is more important, the right or the left? Your calling, dear women, is a noble calling and one without which the marriage will suffer great damage. Although, dear wives, you are not called to lead your husband, you are nevertheless called to come alongside of your husband to help him to encourage him when he is down, to express your thankfulness to him for his leadership within the home. You don't know how that is an encouragement to your husband to be thankful for, for that which you see him growing in. He's not perfect. He has his weaknesses and his faults. But are you magnifying, are you taking the, the magnifying glass to his faults and his weaknesses, or are you taking it to the areas in which he is growing? Are you praying for him? That's a helper. Are you providing good, sound input in various matters that come before the family because he should desire your input. Are you seeking to make your home a haven of rest and peace? A picture, if you will, of heaven to come in your family. I dare say, wives, I dare say, when husbands see their wives as helpers rather than rivals, home will be a place where he delights to spend time. What husband in his right mind would look for reasons to stay away from a wife who so delights in her calling as his helper? Dear women, rather than envying the role of leader that God has given to your husbands, which is a violation of the Tenth Commandment, you are coveting something that God did not give to you. Learn rather to be content, even as Paul said, I have learned to be content in all things. Learn contentment 
in this place, this high and noble calling that God has given to you to be your husband's helper. Learn contentment there and appreciate the role God has given to you as his assistant. You know, I never thought the role of assistant to the President of the United States or to the Prime Minister was a, was a role of servitude, a worthless role. And you probably never did either. How then can we look upon the role of the assistant to the husband as being a role of worthlessness and servitude? I encourage you wives, study to be the best helper a husband ever had. Don't be like Eve to whom God gave every tree in the garden, but because he withheld one tree from her, she viewed God as unfair. God had withheld that one tree from her. She was not content with what God had graciously, graciously given her. She wanted it all. Do not be like Eve, that you want it all. Be content with the role God has given to you. The second main point, which we will just make a headway into today, but finish, Lord willing, next time we meet, is the duty of a wife. And again, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. The duty of a wife in particular toward her husband is encapsulated in the word submit. Paul here uses a word in the Greek language which means to place or arrange under. Which word was actually used in the military to refer to those who held subordinate ranks to their superior officers. Thus the Lord through the apostle Paul calls wives to recognize their proper role and place within the marriage as that of a subordinate officer to that of their husband as it relates to good order and lawful authority within the home. Now, wives, this is not a suggestion from the apostle, from the Lord. This is not something that God gives you to simply consider and if you like it, You'll go with it, but if you don't, you'll throw it away. This is a command from the Lord to be obeyed and one to be obeyed continuously. As we note that the verb, the command, the imperative is in the present tense, which would be translated something like this to give that, that force of, to the verb. Wives continuously submit unto your husbands. Not once in a while, not when you feel like it, continuously submit unto your husbands. This command to wives follows immediately after the words we find in Ephesians 5.21, which has, in many people's minds, produced great confusion because in verse 21, it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. What's the relationship between verse 21 
and verse 22. Well, if you go back to Ephesians 5.18, there you'll find the Apostle Paul giving this direction. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Then he continues in verses 19 through 21 to identify ways in which the filling of the Spirit may be manifested in the midst of the church. And each of these five ways in which the filling of the Spirit may be manifested in the church is in the Greek language in a, as a, appears as a participle. In the English, it appears as a word ending in I-N-G. And so, note with me then, very briefly. In verse 19, the first way to manifest the filling of the Spirit within the context of Christ's church is speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so we sing the psalms God has given to us Three different ways to refer to the Psalter of the Old Testament. Singing the Psalms, speaking the Psalms one to another. The second participle, singing. The third participle, and making melody in your heart to the Lord. This emphasizes not so much the content, but it emphasizes that our singing unto the Lord are literally, not making melody, but literally psalming. Singing and psalming emphasizes that our worship as we sing should come from the heart. It shouldn't simply be the utterance of outward voices, but it should arise from what we sense and believe in our hearts unto the Lord. The fourth way in which we manifest the filling of the Spirit within the context of the church is giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We gather to praise God, to glorify Him and give Him thanks in our prayers. And as we speak to one another, always remembering that we should give thanks to the Lord for all that He's done for us so that a spirit of apathy and complacency for God's many benefits does not overwhelm our minds, that we forget the graciousness and the mighty works which God has bestowed upon His people. And the fifth way in which the filling of the Spirit is manifested within the church is submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That we recognize a mutual submission within the body of Christ. Yes, there is a submission on the part of members of the congregation in a unique and particular way to the elders, but there is also a mutual submission to all and amongst all. As one brings the word of God to another, one recognizes the need to submit the word of God brought by that brother or sister. And in that sense, that's certainly true in marriage as well. When a wife brings the word of God to her husband, 
His attitude should not be, I can't listen to you, you're my wife. His attitude rather should be, that's good counsel. That's profitable counsel. That's the Word of God speaking unto me. And I'm willing to submit on that basis. But the Lord gives to us, beginning in verse 22, the particular role of a wife and then going on to speak the role of a husband he gives now application not so much to the church in general, but to the family in particular. And so, in ver- beginning with verse 22 and following, we begin to find the application of the filling of the Spirit to the family. <clears throat> and so, submission on the part of wives is an evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Not simply a mere outward submission of going through the motions, but a sincere submission of the heart. A willingness to submit. A desire to submit in all lawful commands that are given unto her by her husband. And yea, even cheerfulness. The Lord loves a cheerful giver, the scripture says. If he loves a cheerful giver of that which is financial, how much more he loves a cheerful giver of that which is commanded in other areas of a woman's life. A cheerful submission. And I would simply, with regard to submission, point out, wives, it is not sinless perfection that God looks for in your life or that we look for. Certainly that's the standard. God does not and cannot bend his moral law for any of us. That's the rule of our obedience is his law. But nevertheless, because we know that none of us are going to live an absolutely perfect and sinless life, the sight of heaven, we do not look for sinless perfection on either the part of the husband in his loving the wife or sinless perfection on the part of the wife in submitting to her husband. We look for faithfulness. We look for perseverance and and constancy, fervency, devotion, sincerity. Those are the attitudes that God delights in, in the whole matter of submission on the part of a wife to her husband. We do not excuse a wife's sin when she does not submit, nor a husband's sin when he does not love. But we simply point out that we need the Lord Jesus Christ every moment of the day if we are to be faithful to Him. We need His forgiveness, His mercy, His grace to strengthen us and to encourage us to persevere. When we've fallen, it seems like a hundred times in this week, 
We've struggled with that whole area. Do we give up? Do we throw in our hands and say, I just can't do it? I quit. No. By God's grace, you continue in seeking to be a submissive wife. In the brief moments I have remaining, I want to remove some false ideas associated with biblical submission. Next Lord's Day, we will consider what biblical submission is right now. Let's focus our attention upon what biblical submission is not. First of all, biblical submission is not, as we mentioned earlier, servitude or slavery. The wife is described by Peter not as a servant or a slave. In 1 Peter 3.7, although Peter does address message a message to slaves in 1 Peter 2.18 and following. Wives are not included amongst the slaves. Rather, he gives them specific instruction beginning in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 and following. And in 1 Peter 3.7, they are referred to as the weaker vessel and as an heir together of the grace of life with their husbands. And you know, husbands, for that reason, because they are the weaker vessel, because they are an heir together in the grace of life with you, the Lord warns you that if you do not honor your wives as such, your prayers will not be heard and answered. Pretty severe admonition and warning. God takes this seriously. He will not hear and answer your prayers. This is a severe censure on the part of God against a husband who does not honor his wife as the weaker vessel to defend and protect, not to abuse, and who does not view her as an heir together in the grace of life. God will always take up the righteous cause of the helpless and the weak. And if we do not want to find ourselves in battle with Almighty God, we had better love, provide for, protect, and honor our wives. Remember, dear ones, that God did not create Eve from Adam's foot to be a slave, but from his side to be his companion. Second of all, Biblical submission does not imply an inferiority as to nature, essence, or being. God created both man and woman in his own image, according to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Submission on the part of a wife to her husband no more implies her essential inferiority than does Christ's submission to his father. And in 1 Corinthians 11.3, there it says that God is the head of Christ, even as the man is the head of the woman. To infer inferiority of nature from biblical submission, therefore, is to deny the Trinity. It is to say biblical submission on the part of the Son to the Father implies that the Son is 
of inferiority or of an inferior nature in essence and being to the Father, which is blasphemous. For dear ones, the Son perfectly obeys the will of the Father in all things. And yet the Son is not inferior to the Father as to nature or essence. God has bestowed upon the husband and wife, yes, different roles within the family. But they are equal in nature and status before the Lord. Thirdly, Biblical submission is not the mindless act of a wife who cannot think for herself. Dear ones, biblical submission does not imply stupidity or lack of intelligence in the least. Wives may, in fact, be superior to their husbands in knowledge and in intellect. Again, I ask, Does the son's submission to the father imply his intellectual inferiority? Such a thought, again, is blasphemous. For just as the father knows all, so the apostles say to the Son of God that he knows all in John 16.30. Certainly as to Christ's human understanding, the scripture speaks of Christ growing in knowledge and wisdom with God and man in Luke 2.52. As to his humanity, he did grow in knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And the scripture even says with regard to his humanity that there were certain events that he, he did not know. For example, the time of his second coming in Mark 13.32. That's not as to his deity, but as to his humanity. For just as Christ was localized in a body as to his humanity, but omnipresent as to his deity, so likewise he was limited in his knowledge as to his humanity, but omniscient as to his deity. And so, biblical submission, dear ones, does not mean that women must leave their minds behind when they become married. Their input counsel and advice in various areas will prove to be an asset in a good marriage. It is only the proud and arrogant man that cannot receive counsel from his wife. Remember, God commends the advice of Sarah to Abraham to cast Hagar and Ishmael out of the camp. Abraham was troubled and grieved over what Sarah said, but God came to Abraham and said, listen to your wife. And God commends the wisdom of Abigail, who appeased the wrath of David rather than inciting his wrath, as did her foolish husband Nabal in 1 Samuel 25. The last thing that I would mention that biblical submission is not. Biblical submission is not an unqualified submission on the part of a wife to her husband. Does Paul require an unqualified submission in Ephesians 5.24 when he says, 
Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their husbands in everything. Does Paul require an unqualified submission? Absolutely not. Paul is simply emphasizing that a wife's submission to her husband extends to all general areas of the marriage, to all areas, no matter what general area that you might enumerate. Her submission extends to that area. But to every single command within that area, even an unlawful command, even a command to disobey God, absolutely not. For that would be a violation of the first commandment, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It would be, in essence, to make her husband the Lord of her conscience and to obey on that basis. When he says, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their husbands in everything. Does Paul require an unqualified submission? Absolutely not. Paul is simply emphasizing that a wife's submission to her husband extends to all general areas of the marriage, to all areas, no matter what general area that you might enumerate. Her submission extends to that area. But to every single command within that area, even an unlawful command, even a command to disobey God, absolutely not. For that would be a violation of the first commandment, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It would be, in essence, to make her husband the Lord of her conscience and to obey on that basis. Such a view is a total abrogation of other commandments, as we find in Matthew 10:37, where we are commanded to love the Lord Jesus Christ more than we love any of the relationships within our family. He is to be more dear to us, and we are to follow him more closely than any human relationship. As we shall see in the next sermon, all submission is qualified by such statements as in the fear of God, in Ephesians 5.21, as unto the Lord, in Ephesians 5.22, in the Lord, in Colossians 3.18. Submission is always in the Lord, consistent with God, with His Word, not in disobedience to His Word. Jesus Christ, dear ones, must be preeminent in all biblical submission. And when a woman is in a situation where she cannot obey her husband because what has been commanded is contrary to to the Word of God. She is not looking for opportunities to rebel. 
She, in fact, will go to her husband in such a case and in meekness will plead with him to change his mind. will open up the word of God and seek to explain to him why God alone is the Lord of her conscience and why she cannot submit in that particular command. But if he refuses, she will have to stand where the apostles stood. We ought to obey God rather than men. And so any husband who would ask his wife to lie for him, to steal for him, to violate the law of God for him, has not only sinned himself and violated the law of God by committing that sin himself, but has actually been an accessory to the sin committed by his wife as well. Such is not the lawful and godly authority which the Lord places in the hands of a husband. I close this Lord's Day with a word to both husbands and wives, respectfully. First, men, if you would rightly rule... You must rightly submit. Those who are respected the most as leaders and who know how to use their authority for the benefit of those they lead are those who have first learned how to submit in obedience to all lawful authority. I cite for you in Hebrews chapter 5 one example. An unbelievable example when we consider it, but it says this. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. The Son of God learned obedience as to his humanity. Though he had never sinned in the first place, he grew and his knowledge and wisdom as to the will of God. And he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. I give to you, men, though the Lord was a righteous ruler, he learned obedience. He learned submission. So must you. Second, I appeal to the women. If you would have, dear women, if you would have your children learn godly submission to your authority, you must learn submission to your husband's authority. You can never expect your children to respect you and your authority if they do not see the work of grace in your life bringing you to sincerely submit to your husband's authority. Your children are indeed learning submission through a living epistle every day as they observe your life. Your life is saying something to your children, women, every single day about your view of submission. And if you want your children to learn submission, 
teach them not only by your words, but by your deeds. And I would offer to the single moms in our congregation, although you may not have a husband or father in the home, your children will nevertheless learn what godly submission is by your own example in submitting to all lawful authority, whether it be your father or whether it be the elders of the church, whether it be to a lawful civil magistrate. They will learn by your example even in that regard. And so do not despair that your children cannot learn godly submission because there is no father in the home or husband in the home. Yes, they can learn by your words and by your deeds as well. If we are indeed earnest about biblical submission, it will not be a mere going through the motions, but we will learn to do so sincerely and even cheerfully. God finds this type of submission in a woman especially to be of great price. In 1 Peter 3.5, this submission, the Lord says, is valuable to him. And I exhort you today, I submit to you, dear wives, there is nothing that is more beautiful and will make you more attractive in the sight of your husbands than godly submission. Please stand with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, hear our prayer this day. For the Lord our God, we are rebels by nature. But by thy grace, thou hast subdued our will unto thee. And though we still see remnants of that rebel within us, we pray, Father, that thou would drive us unto thyself to avail ourselves of the, of the grace of God, exhibited as Christ died upon the cross. For he died that all may die to self. He rose again that all may live in righteousness to Thee, in obedience to Thee. We pray, Heavenly Father, that Thou would bless the women in our congregation, that they would love and cherish submission, that it would not be simply something that they have to do, but that, Father, Thou would give to them, indeed, the grace of submission. And that, Father, we as husbands would make their job easy by loving them in such a way that it would call forth that submission in their lives. We ask these things trusting in Jesus Christ. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. 
It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 731, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.